Some people say the whole quote barefoot shoe thing is busting. Some people say it's booming. Some people say it's causing injuries. Some people say it's curing injuries, whatever. Let's, we're going to dive in with someone who has a perspective other than a guy who's in the business, who's frankly helped make some of these things happen. And that's, what's going to be going on today's episode of the movement movement, the podcast for people who want to know the truth about what it takes to have a happy, healthy, strong body starting feet first. Cause you know, those things are the end of your legs are your foundation, of course. And you may know we on this podcast break down the propaganda, the mythology, sometimes the outright lies that people have been telling you about what it takes to walk or run or play or do yoga or CrossFit or dance revolution or whatever it is you like to do and to do that enjoyably and efficiently and effectively. And wait, did I say enjoyably? Trick question. I know I did, even though my brain is mush today because we just moved into a new office. Because look, if you're not having a good time, you're not going to keep it up. So make sure you're doing something you enjoy, whatever you're doing on your feet. I'm Stephen Sashin, the host of this thing and the co-CEO and co-founder of Zero Shoes. I'm wearing the t-shirt to prove it. And we call it the movement movement because we're creating a movement that the we part involves you. And I'll tell you how in a second, we're creating a movement about natural movement, letting your body do what it's made to do. And the we part is really simple. Just spread the word. One way you can do that is go over to our website, www.jointhemovementmovement.com. There's nothing you need to do to join. There's no secret handshake. There's no song we sing every morning at 6 a.m. There is, but not many people know it. And it's just, that's a place where you can find the previous episodes, all the ways you can engage with us on social media. If you picked up this podcast from somewhere that you, and you'd rather find it somewhere else, you'll find all the places you can get the podcast and leave us a review. Give us a thumbs up, hit the bell icon on YouTube. Give us a five-star rating. If you can give us ratings someplace, you get the gist. If you want to be part of the tribe, just subscribe. So here we go. Adam, do me a favor. Tell people who you are, what you do, and what you're doing here. Thank you very much for having me on, Stephen. So I'm Adam. I'm the creator behind Midwellist.org, which is an ever-growing, evolving, hopefully useful resource dedicated solely really to helping people discover barefoot shoes, minimalist footwear, with the mission to remove really as many barriers as possible uh, to people taking that leap from more conventional footwear, uh, conventional movements, into that more barefoot minimalist ethos. Because, I don't know, I'm going to speak for a large group of people here, which is often dangerous, <laughs> but I'm going to do it anyway, even if it gets into trouble. Um, but I think that most people, broadly speaking, they tend to discover, from my experience at least, barefoot shoes and minimalist footwear in, in really three different ways. Um, I think the, the first is that they were the brave souls that embraced the, the five-finger look with, with Vibrams back in the day. They, <laughs> they equally equally um, repulsed and intrigued by them. Um, <laughs> but they, they braved the brave souls. The second, I think, is through injury and through the amazing work of people like Katie Bowman, Petra Fisher, yourself, and others in, in the industry who um, really, really spreading the, the word and education about how natural movement can prevent uh, injuries. Or third, and more my route, which was reading the book Born to Run. <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think I've heard of it. Born to Wait, let me look that up. Hold on. Yeah, you might have come across it a couple of yeah. times. That was a book by Bruce Springsteen. Did I get that right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So between those three things, I think that probably accounts for, for 99% of the people who end up in this universe that, that is barefoot. And for me, it was a combination, really. It was actually a pesky, persistent, almost pathetic toe injury that was plaguing me for a long while, combined with the reading the Born to Run book. After those two things, that convinced me to go on a deep dive into a personal quest of understanding minimalist footwear, because I, as a person, I quite like some self-imposed analysis paralysis i like to torture myself just a little bit sometimes and so when i started to jump into to the world of barefoot shoes i wanted to see all of the options i wanted to see what was out there and i don't think anyone out there is going to to say that barefoot shoes are, are a very low cost option <laughs> i think, think often it's, it receives a, a criticism of being of being expensive even though i think comparatively speaking i, I want to jump in on that for the fun of it it's complete bullshit yeah go just for the yeah. fun of saying it, that idea is just, I mean, I'm in not editing mode. I'm amazed when people say that because we don't have one shoe that's more expensive than the other things they're wearing. And of course, the thing I say, we've got our 5,000 mile sole warranty. So the net cost 
is less. If our shoes outlast whatever other thing you're making or whatever thing you're buying by whatever percentage is necessary, it's a less expensive option. Now, there, granted, there are a number of companies whose stuff is more expensive, but it, it's it, it, anyway. I, I'm I, I get irritated as you can tell by things that are just factually inaccurate. But you're, to your point, you're right. People do say that, but it's literally factually inaccurate. And I'm just perplexed and annoyed when that happens. And I have, do you have any sense of where, this is a, a bit of a tangent to jump off on, but do you have any sense of why and what people are looking at that made them come to that conclusion? Yeah, and I, th- I think that you're totally right because at worst, they're comparatively expensive to the shoes that they purchase. If you're buying a pair of hiking boots to spend over for a good pair, if you're spending over a hundred bucks for it, that's well within reason. So I don't think that they are overpriced in any sense compared to to what they get but i think that maybe the mindset is more that i think minimalist shoes and footwear are marketed as being less of a shoe so the idea i think to someone who is not familiar necessarily with all of the concepts and haven't dug deep is that you're getting less and so by getting less they expect to pay less and i think that maybe that is the is an aspect to it that that some people might approach it from yeah that's intriguing. We'll have to do something like, okay, so which is going to cost more, the couple extra dollars for a shoe that has fewer materials or the cost of dealing with the injuries that you're getting from wearing? (laughs) I I, I guess people are just framing it in a way that is weird, but it's actually an interesting point that you brought that up right off the bat, Um, because we'll have to look at that and see how we want to address that in a way that makes people um, just get out of the mindset of just doing cost comparison because it couldn't be a less valuable, pun intended, way to consider what we and other people are doing. Anyway, all right, well, that was a, a bit of a rant tangent, but let, let me back up a half a bit. So when did you read Born to Run and when, and I can interrupt, when did you read Born to Run and when did you start Minimalist? I started Minimalist back in 2020. So it was right at the beginning of COVID. It was perfectly timed with boredom. So no, I think I read I read Born to Run I think a few months earlier, and I was just convinced. I was there are just some things that you read that just make so much sense to you as you're processing it that things just go oh okay update the software your brain just yeah. updates to that new modal way of thinking, um, and that that was one of those things for me. It was just like oh that totally makes sense to me. Um, let's start the process of figuring it out, um, and. So like I was saying earlier, is that I wanted to go out there and view all of the different options available to try and make a, an informed decision of which shoe should I get, which one is right for me, based on what I want to get from a pair of shoes. And there are a lot of really great resources out there. There are tons of blogs with reviews, but there was no, at least not at that time, there was no one place to pull together everything into one place, especially as, as a directory with filters that you could play with to really just get a list of companies or, or footwear that is specifically waterproof and a boot uh, and why toe box, you know, all, all of the features that you might look for. So I was taught from a young age to scratch your own itch and that's a good way to approach life. And like I said, it was the beginning of COVID. I had some spare time on my hand, like we all did. And I was curious about the web development. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to scratch this itch. I'm going to build it. I'm going to make it for myself. And maybe other people might find it useful too. And and that's how it all started, really. It was pretty well received, more than I thought it was going to be. And then it it just blossomed from there. You came late to the game since this movement started a good 11 years before uh, your introduction to it. So I, I want to parse that a little bit. So what even got you to read Born to Run? What got you... How'd you find that even? It was a friend I was living with. I don't know how he came to the book. Uh, he, he was always listening to podcasts with Tim Ferriss. And there was a guy who wrote The Supple Leopard. I can't remember the guy's name. I think he just listened to him a lot. Kelly Starr. Yeah, Kelly Starr. That's the one. And, and I think that he maybe got that book reference from one of their conversations. He read it. He bought a pair of Prios. I remember when he got them. And he was showing me them and I was like, oh, that's cool. And didn't think about it anymore. And then, like I mentioned, I, I had a something called turf toe. I think they call it in America, in English. I think it, it was more just, it was never fully defined for me what it actually was, but it was a problem with my big toe. And I, every time I would push off it, it would strain and then I'd be out for a few weeks. So yeah, I used to play a lot of soccer, uh, football, and yeah, it put me out and nothing could fix it. I, I was probably out for about three years. 
every time I'd go back, it would happen again. And then on his recommendation, I read the book. And then I thought, you know what, I'm going to try it out. Like I said, I'd updated my software. And since then, I've touch wood never gone back to having that 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 injury problem. And I play a lot of sports. So that was my journey into it, really. Just a recommendation from a friend. And yeah. Yeah. And that's, that is the number one way people seem to find out about what we're all up to, as far as I can tell. I liked it that at some point, the market switched from people who had read Born to Run to people who had no idea what we were talking about uh, when I bring that up. And I keep uh, referring to the book because it's such a great book, regardless of the whole minimalist footwear movement. But it is interesting that you decided to scratch that out your own itch and build that whole resource. And so I'm curious about that process and mostly what you learned as you were putting that together. And the first thought that popped in my mind is who submitted something to you and you went, yeah, I can't include that. You mean just a, a very random pair of, of foot? I'll say it this way. From day one, back in 2009, late 2009 through the end of 2010, the big shoe companies were saying the whole barefoot thing is bullshit. And if you run barefoot, you're going to step on hypodermic needles. You're going to catch Ebola. Your kids won't get into college. You'll forget how to use the number three. You'll grow an extra finger. It was like ridiculous. The well, list what's went, the number three? I, I, what are you referring to? You sure. just said some, some weird word. And and then by 2010, the end of 2010, there were a handful of companies making shoes they were calling minimalist that were nothing of the sort. And in a similar vein, as, and we'll talk about the growth or lack thereof from your perspective, as things have been evolving, let's just tease people with that. I'm seeing more and more companies making products that they're calling, just like the early days, that they're calling barefoot or calling minimalist that are nothing of the sort. And there have been a number of times where, you know, trying to put together, say, an organization for promoting minimalist footwear. And there are companies and products where they're saying, hey, we'd love to be part of that. And the people in charge are going, how do we deal with this? We want to have everybody involved, but that product is not anything close. So as you were putting this list together, what did you discover about the nature of, quote, barefoot shoes? Yeah, I I think fundamentally is that when you start the process, you have the false idea that a barefoot shoe is, is a fixed thing. And it's been very clearly defined in... In, in the world and then you realize that, that the word the wording matters that barefoot shoe is probably considered a type of minimalist footwear and then there's a whole new layer that you start to, to to learn and then you realize that it's not a category necessarily it's a spectrum and then on one side you have something that is barefoot on the other side you've got something that is maximalist like a hocker one or, or whatever the the thing is and you end up with this spectrum of grayness in between the, the things and so and that, that, as you go from the barefoot side of that spectrum all the way across, you start to encounter things that are wide toe boxed. They are flat with zero drop. They are basically barefoot in every way, but they have that extra thickness on the sole, the extra cushioning for whatever reason that, that they have it for, whether it's for running on trails or pavement or just simply more comfort and everything in between. So all of a sudden you've got to, for someone in my position who is, trying to collate all of these products together and try to keep it as focused on being as barefoot as possible. I'm often confronted with one shoe that ticks all of the boxes apart from maybe one. And I'm like, do I include it? Do I not include it? Is this, is it not? And so it's a tough decision. And, I, and I've mostly just relied on my gut instinct to this, to, to make that decision. What, 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 what do you think? Does the idea of a spectrum resonate with you? No. <laughs> simply, simply because of the research. The research from Irene Davis could not be more clear. There's stuff that is as close to barefoot as you're going to get. And so the there are a number of just, what's the, not requirements, but there are a number of, oh, come on, non-starters. There's another word I'm looking for. I can't think of it. Anyway, there are a number of features that are basically required. It's got to have a wider foot-shaped toe box. How mm-hmm. wide, that's a whole different story because there's some shoes that are coming out that are frankly are almost clownish, but there are some people who have really wide feet. When we were making just our do-it-yourself sandals and we were custom making things where people would send us a tracing of their foot, we'd make a sandal for them. We got some foot tracings that were practically square and just really amazing things that you, you didn't were not sure that they knew how to use really? or yeah, or it was some sort of Bigfoot challenge. 
The But the research is very clear that if there's more than the barest amount of cushioning, then it's reducing the amount of feedback that people are getting and engendering movement patterns that are non-ideal. The thing, the highlight, the way I like to think of it is it's about form, not footwear. It's just that footwear can inform the form. And so you add enough padding and someone who naturally overstrides and heel strikes because they've been running in regular shoes where they do that, it's just not going to change because they're not getting the feedback for that. I was actually just at a physical therapy event there was a company there called Run DNA. I just did an interview with uh, Doug from Run DNA a little while ago, and they were doing gait analysis. And it was all these people who thought of themselves as good runners. They'd been in regular shoes, every one of them overstriding and heel striking. And some of them had even switched to something that was, again, called minimalist and still overstriding and heel striking, and they didn't know it. And so let's just say there's things that... and. To be candid or candid, to be clear, there's some shoes on the wall behind me that many people would not call barefoot. And I completely agree. Where it is up there behind me is a fully waterproof snow boot. So if you're going to yep. make a snow boot and make something that's insulated and has a heat reflective sole and a waterproof lining, there's no way to make that as, quote, barefoot as our most barefoot shoe, the Speed Force, which is just a four and a half millimeter rubber sole. And so I like to think that. What we are as a company, we're doing natural movement first and foremost, and then making things as barefoot as we can to be practical. But but I, there are so many things where there is just a bunch of extra padding that it just doesn't do the trick. And to your point about the spectrum between barefoot and something super maximalist, and you referred to the gray area in between, that area in between is not gray at all. Basically, everything, I know, I know this can sound a little man, why can't I find words today? This is going to sound a little extreme, but once we even get past what Irene Davis calls those partial minimalist shoes, and I've accused her of being politically correct, and if she weren't, she would say fake minimalist shoes, and she did not disagree with that point. Once you get past there, again, for lack of a better phrase, they all suck. And what I mean when I say that, and I'll stop ranting about this in a second, this is not about me, is simply that the research, again, backs up what I'm saying. Research on Nike's own website showed that in a study comparing their best-selling running shoe to a new shoe they developed, this is about four years ago, in 12 weeks, 30% of the people in their best-selling shoe got injured. And, and the new shoe only injured 14.5%. The irony, there's a couple, is the new shoe that did so much better what they did to make it better is they removed many of the protective features. Not all of them. They made it a little more like us. But let's just use that 14.5%. Those are the number of people that got injured in 12 weeks. And of course, injury rates go up over time. If we injured 14.5% of our customers within 12 weeks of them getting a pair of zero shoes, we'd be having this conversation with from my jail cell. So that's why I say everything that goes past what we're doing is bullshit. And more, we've also had big company, people at big companies say, oh, this natural movement thing is real. But if we were doing that, we'd be admitting we've been lying for 50 years. So if they know it, then it's a problem. And yeah. anyway, and some of it is just basic physics, where it's another reason I say that there is no gray area, really, because there's nothing there's to your, to the way you had to break it down. Okay. They got a wide toe box. They've got this, they got that. Everything's I'm checking all the boxes about this one or two. It's the same thing in that middle area. If you make something wide and you make something flat, that's great. But that extra cushioning is, again, the thing getting in the way of giving you the feedback that you actually need and st still engendering, potentially engendering a bad form. I'm sorry, I'm, I, I'm going to keep going. I had this flashback just now to when Newton running came out and they had these pods under the your metatarsals that were little trampoline pods. And they the way they positioned that shoe, they said it's designed to encourage a four-foot landing. That's a clever idea, but if you went and watched people running in that shoe, 99% didn't land on their forefoot, never used those little magic trampoline pods. So you can, quote, design something for a reason, but what happens in reality is a different game. Anyway, so that's you're, my you're, long answer yeah. to your simple question. No, and I understand your perspective totally. And I think that when I refer to the spectrum, I think that 99% of that spectrum is garbage. It doesn't end up on... It wouldn't even fall into that realm. And I think what I'm more alluding to is that last 5-10% of footwear, which probably includes maybe your snow boot and your most minimalist, the, the Speed Force. They, they would both make it, in my book, as a, quote, barefoot shoe, because they are, they could, you're, you're coming at it with the right ethos, you're designing with the right principles, and people 
from my experience, they need footwear for different occasions. And you could make a sandal that is the most barefoot possible, but that's just not going to suit somebody who needs to go and hike in the snow for six hours. Um, and so somebody who is looking for a snow boot, you accept that you're not going to get the most minimalist shoe possible, but I'm trying to guide people towards the most the boots that fulfill that need in the most barefoot inspired or minimalist inspired right. route. That's more the spectrum that I'm referring to. That I, want to I, talk about. I can appreciate that. So what's the either most interesting or surprising thing you've either learned in the last three and almost four years of doing this um, or the most surprising slash interesting kind of feedback you're getting on a regular basis from human beings who encounter. And by the way, it's minimal list. We'll talk about the URL later, but just to be clear. So yeah, give me the surprising, interesting bits from either just what you've noticed or what you're hearing from people. Yeah, for me, the, and I think when we started this conversation, you were almost a little bit surprised when I said it, it was from the outside looking in, it seems there's a lot of innovation happening in, in the industry. The different, like I just mentioned, the types of shoes that are available for different purposes yeah. that are coming, that are hitting the market to me is fascinating. That It gives me the impression that the industry is growing. You can comment on that, I'm sure. But for example, I saw that there is a, a golf shoe. There is now a, a football cleat that you can get. There are 3D printed barefoot shoes that are molded. To, there's a lot of, to me, I'm surprised to see such a small part of of the overall footwear market I have such passion behind it and to be able to be at that forefront of innovation and to and to deliver these products that people need I, I find it fascinating especially in a market that it seems to be dominated so much by smaller companies with limited resources who are just doing it more out of passion than for the purely financial gains because I think probably yourself you were barefoot are the biggest probably two but 90 percent of the others are small family-run businesses around the world and, and, I, and I love to see that. I, it's, it, I agree. When some new thing comes out or some additional thing comes out, I by and large love it. Except when this, this, I don't know, this has happened a lot lately, but it used to happen earlier on where someone would say, I was looking for something and I couldn't find what I wanted. So I came up with this and it's a complete ripoff of something that we did. <laughs> and I can find them in my database from when they ordered my shoes. And in fact, I, here's one that, that's going to sound crazy. The brand Hey Dude, which got a lot of attention recently, we met employee number one who said, oh, no, we bought all your stuff and you were our inspiration. It's, what the? So now I, I'm okay with that, except the fact that they got two and a half billion dollars from when they got acquired by Crocs. And Crocs says to us, eh, we're not really interested in you guys. Like, Wait a minute. What? Yeah, the innovation part is great. It's also one of those things that the the flip side is a lot of people come into this I think we all come into anything new naive, but a lot of people are coming in more naive than they know and or are willing to admit. And sadly, uh, a number of these companies, they come and they go because running a footwear company is really hard. The, the cost, especially if you're growing, the cost is incredible. Managing inventory is amazingly difficult. And there aren't a lot of people who've made it past that working out of your living room stage. And I hope more do, because the more the merrier, we're trying to build awareness. Or we're, well, well, the more there are, the more awareness there is. And that's really critical for something like this. Some people ask me every now and they go, what if Nike ripped you off? I went, then we won. Yeah, we're, we're not here to be the biggest whatever company in the world. We're here to change the world with natural movement footwear. And so if some big company jumps on board, like really jumps on board, then we won and we're all going to be part of changing the world. Yeah. Rising tide raises all ships, as they say. Yeah. As they say. So how, how, what's the word I'm looking for? How in touch with the people who are hitting your website are you? In other words, are they reaching out to you and telling you things they want, things they don't want, things that they're, I mean, what's that relationship like for you? It's been really nice actually, because ever since I conceived the idea, how I spread the word was pretty organic. I just, posted on a few Reddit threads and it was just like, hey, I built this thing. If you like it, use it. And then every change that I've made to the to, to the platform ever since inception really has always come from the community. There's always been feedback from people saying, hey, it'd be cool if this you could do this. Hey, did you know about this company or have you seen this footwear? Or so it's a consistent interaction really with, with me being guided by them and me trying to deliver more useful things for, for, for people because not always what I want is what everybody wants. And I think that one of the ideas that, that came through was the, the Golden Toe Awards, which was the second one was uh, earlier this year. 
which is, for those who don't know, is a whimsical award ceremony that, that tries to sh shed some light on the on, on who the community think is doing a great job in terms of the footwear. And I think that you've probably been pretty proud of zero performance in there. I think you had a shoe in the top three of pretty much every category that, that we had. Yeah, I'm okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And thank you for the support that you give to that every year. So, so that those are the, it's, it's that kind of community first, community led, trying to get feedback from the community, trying to work that directly into the comparisons that we do, into the reviews that we put together, because there's a ton of people out there giving hands-on reviews just of their, their own opinion. But I know that when I'm looking, I'm delving into the forums, I'm trying to find what lots of people think about the product, just not necessarily one person. So I'm trying to collate that and bring that into the website to try and make it more of a community-driven platform that, that people can rely on. Got it. And again, backing up to the previous question in a way, is there any being, anything out of this just been like flat out surprising to you? Because from my end, there's a lot. But again, we're from on the brand side and I've been around for 14 years. Not out surprising. It's okay if I stump you. <laughs> yeah, nothing, nothing is coming to my mind off the bat. Then from your perspective, what do you, it's an interesting thing, at least in the States, people still perceive this whole category as something that is really tiny and niche and not many people are into it. And, and by the way, you're going to get injured if you do this. It's a very different thing in Europe. We have a European office and it's a very different thing. So what's the, the zeitgeist from your perspective, just about the whole concept and how have you seen that evolving in the last few years? Yeah, I think it's growing a lot in Europe. In the, in the past few years, I think places like like Germany in particular, there seems to be a lot of, of of activity there. I think where I'm from in the UK, it's a it's a lot it's a lot less known, and I think that fundamentally comes from the fact that the environment really isn't that suitable for for <laughs> what was a barefoot shoe. Um, yeah. If we go back to our previous conversation, it, ten years ago. Up until very recently, it was the, the Prio is great, but it's not, it absorbs water. So you're not going to wear that. It, I tried, oh, I used it for many years. I turned my Prios into dust, I think, by the time I threw them away. But they were not good in the rain. And, and that, that was a problem. And I think that was a big barrier for most people because those shoes, they were very lightweight. They were very permeable. They were often sandals. This was where the industry was for a long time. But now you can see on the wall behind you that you've got boots that are waterproof. You're starting to tackle those terrains. And I think that as those gain more traction and more popularity, I think that, in my opinion, you start to see that trend grow of people turning to them yeah. in, in the UK and Northern Europe. Yeah. And not surprising. That's why we built those is because we started hearing from people going, hey, this is great, but it's pretty much wet every day wherever I am. What are we going to do about that? And, <laughs> yeah. and the challenge, again, think about the smaller companies. They're able to sometimes they're able to come in with a product that solves a problem faster than we are because of just the other financial issues that we have to keep the business running. And it pains me that the list of things that I would like to do takes time. I, I find that completely unacceptable, but so be it. Have you done a, well, I'm going to ask this question in a weird way. How has your traffic grown in those four years? Do you have that data? I have that. I have that data. Yeah, for the first year, it was not much growth at all. It was more just a passion project, and then I'm not. Sure, I, I could never figure out exactly what it was that happened, but I think it got shared somewhere. I'm not sure how or, or what, but all of a sudden, um, from then it, it started to just pick up a lot more traffic, and and then because of that, it caught my attention. And then I was like, you know what, maybe I should put a little bit more time into developing this and see if I can improve it. Because at that time, it was only a list of brands. Mm. So that was all it was. And then I was like, you know what, for me personally, I would love it to be all footwear. And then I asked a few people who had been in touch. I was like, what do you think? And they were like, yeah, I'd love it to also be that. And I was like, all right, fine, I'm going to do it. And that was a great idea because it really helped, I think, the usefulness of the tool. But I will also tell you that it was a torturous three months of of clicking <laughs> on a laptop uh, to get the first version with enough footwear in it to make it a feasible tool to to filter by. 
the control V and control C on my laptop, I think, I think their lifespan shortened by at least uh, a few years. So yeah, over the first year was relatively small. And then ever since I started listening to people a lot and then trying to improve the tool based on their feedback, it's steadily growing year on year, which has given me the impression along with the innovation that if I'm doing a little bit better and I'm growing, that probably the industry is feeling a little bit more healthy. But, but you alluded to the fact earlier that maybe this was not true. So maybe my perspective. No, I, I was being glib slash provocative for the fun of it. If you actually go to <laughs> Google Trends, and if people haven't done this, go to trends, T-R-E-N-D-S dot Google dot com. And you can search for any keyword over basically timeframes from 2004 till now in different locations, US, worldwide, specific countries, et cetera. And right now we're at an all-time high in search traffic for barefoot shoes, both in the US and even higher worldwide. I don't think, I don't know if they have a pan-European selection, but clearly there's something else driving the additional growth worldwide beyond the US because the US is a little above the high from 2009. Europe is way or worldwide way above that high. So we're seeing it grow tremendously. But at the same time, we're still hearing people thinking that this is just a tiny little market for freaky little people who just want to wear these goofy ass shoes. And they don't seem to get, despite all of our and my best efforts, that no, this is not just some tiny little category that is going to be just a few hundred million dollars in the next 10 years. And that's the challenge still that we're trying to overcome is people understanding the value of natural movement in such a way that they get that this can transcend the idea of some niche little product. And we're still working the problem on that one. Yeah. And I I think that's, in the past five years, especially the consumption of fitness media and people becoming more self-aware of their own habits, yeah. that, that whole industry of movement is getting ever stronger year on year. And I think that, that simply is a byproduct of that, you're going to start to look at different parts of your body and you're going to learn different things. And I think that will inevitably funnel people into barefoot shoes just based on the science alone. Yeah. So I think that's probably part of, of, of what you're seeing. I think the thing that I look at that I think is going to be, could engender the biggest change is like you were saying, functional fitness, if you will, but we're dealing with a lot of professional athletes all of a sudden who are starting to understand the value of foot strength and starting to wake up to the idea that what they've been wearing for the last God knows how many years has not contributed to having a better foundation. And if that starts to catch on, there's that top down thing, which on the one hand, I think could really make a big difference. On the other hand, when people see someone who's unlike themselves, this is going to sound weird for with athletes. On the one hand, runners will look at some 105 pound Kenyan guy who can run a marathon in just barely over two hours. And they're a 300 pound whatever who can barely run 5K in under two hours. And they will somehow think, oh, what he's doing is what I should be doing when it comes to buying shoes. The flip side is that same person, if the Kenyan runner is saying, I'm going to run barefoot, that same person would go, oh, that's ridiculous. So there's this weird dichotomy, weird logical break in the way people perceive this. So the professional athletes, they might come out and say, yeah, I started wearing barefoot shoes and changed my game, changed my life. And people could either go, cool, I got to try that. Or they're going to go, yeah, but you're a professional athlete. And so it's just a, a bizarre form of mental accounting in a way that people will totally want to just imitate somebody who's nothing like them or think because they're nothing like me, it's completely irrelevant. And they'll have the same thought within the same breath sometimes and not recognize the the contradiction of it. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting dichotomy of people's thoughts that I never appreciated before. Yeah, because people would go out and buy Nike Airs because they're Jordans. But yeah. then if Jordan came out and said, I'm using these barefoot shoes because they help me jump higher, they'd be like, yeah, but you're Michael Jordan. <laughs> Look, the simplest thing is just back to the maximalist shoes. The moment Hoka came out, I said, there was actually a number of Olympic runners that I was training with. And I said, they loved them. And I said, you're not going to be able to run in a couple of years. They said, what are you talking about? These things are great. I'm putting in more miles than ever. I went, right, because the cushioning is making it so your feet don't feel the pressure. Uh, but the force is still going into your body and it's going to land in your knee, your hip or your back, most likely your knees with the way you run. And they're like, you're crazy. And two years later, they all became cyclists. So it's if you understand the physics of cushioning, 
which very few people do, sadly, then you recognize the problem with cushioning. And so the and in short, anything that is absorbing energy, there's an inverted bell curve, a little upside down curve about how well that cushioning works. I mean, first of all, cushioning sucks, literally sucks energy out of the system, but it will be better or worse depending on how fast you're running and how much you weigh. And for some people, it's less worse, but that's just one tiny part of the curve. And for people who are running any faster or slower, usually slower, or any lighter or heavier, usually heavier, then that stuff is really problematic. And I've been saying this now for 10 years, research is coming out showing exactly that. And it's making no difference. It's making absolutely no difference. So it's a little perplexing to me, just the way people perceive these things. And to your point previously, they put something on and go, hey, that's comfortable. Yeah. Lying down in a, going into space where you're weightless is really comfortable, but you come back and your bones are all brittle and your muscles have atrophied and you can't walk in gravity. (laughs) Do anything anymore. Yeah. Hey, you want to hear something completely uh, off topic just because I said space and gravity? Absolutely. Okay. This has been really annoying me lately. I realized there's a problem with Superman. Here's here's the problem. Just one. There's a number, but this is the one that that, that really keeps me up at night. So Uh when Superman was on his home planet of Krypton, he was a a baby. He was going to be just like any other person on Krypton. And he's been back. He will be be a fine, strong, whatever human being. So why is it when he's on Earth, and he is subjected to kryptonite, he doesn't just become a normal person. He becomes so weak, he can't move or do anything. He would just become a normal person, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So what's up with that? <laughs> you need to go onto Reddit. There's, a, there's, probably a, <laughs> there's probably a rabbit hole there. You could go down for a few hours if you're looking to spend. Uh, I, mean, I haven't even thought. I haven't even thought. Productive. To... Yeah, I have not thought to Google why does Superman become so weak he can't move when he's subjected to <laughs> it makes no sense. I find that very disturbing. And and besides, uh, how come he can fly? If it's about gravity, he should be a really good jumper. He shouldn't be able to fly. Yeah. yeah. So what's up with wow. that? Now we got two things. And then, yeah. all right, wait. And x-ray vision. Why would, why, why, I don't get it. And heat, he and dies. Heat, why heat? Yeah. Why? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Superman has been ruined for me lately. And and now that's the last. That's why Batman is the best one. Which one? Uh, Batman. Oh. Batman's, old. Batman's the best one. He's the most relatable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The relatable billionaire. Yeah, you know, I don't know. I'm a Spider-Man guy because just the intervention just bitten by radioactive spider. That just makes total sense. That, mm. uh, that everything from there would ensue accordingly. And more, I was a gymnast, so the idea of Spider-Man just appeals to me. Jumping around and yeah. some girl next door trauma, maybe. <laughs> it could be that as well. <laughs> yeah, and that, you know that. And this is the other thing, actually, I'm going to bring this back to footwear, check this out, is just this whole idea about footwear as performance enhancing just cracks me up because people are not able to identify what in my mind are very simple rules of physics that would suggest why they may or may not actually be performance enhancing. Mostly not, but if they are, why? And what do you learn from that? Like with the the maximalist shoes, I think the biggest factor that's helpful is they weigh so little, which goes back to, oh gosh, again, names, Phil Maffetone, Dr. Phil Maffetone, who wrote a book called 159 about how to, how someone will break the two minute, the two hour marathon barrier. And his suggestion is they'll do it barefoot because those are the lightest shoes you can wear wow really that's a prediction and that line is actually not from phil that line is from ron hill who won the 10k in the mexico olympics barefoot and someone said why'd you run barefoot and he said these are the lightest shoes i could find but phil's point do you you agree with this or do you oh absolutely absolutely i mean the other thing though that might make those shoes performant or improving performance is their uh, height. Because if they do weigh so little and they're giving you extra height, if it doesn't change your stride frequency, it could change your stride length because Mm -hmm. of the height. And so if you're getting an extra inch every time you hit the ground uh, between one foot and the other, then over time that will improve performance. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Assuming again, you're the right weight and the right running at the right speed. Everything else. Yeah, Yeah. nothing else changing. That's fascinating. You know what? Speaking of that, you did ask me earlier about something that surprised me, and, I, and something did come to my mind while yes. speaking about that. It was how much more muscly my feet are. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I had no idea that the that my when I started the process that my feet would change significantly. Yeah. And and they really do. But I was really it's my biggest regret. My biggest regret was not getting like pictures of my feet and doing any sort of foot strengthening measurement on day one and seeing how that compares to now. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't do this. I didn't do that either. Yeah. So, so what do you notice about yours other than stronger? They got wider, they got thicker. Uh, and just uh, a lot more flexible. I just, I remember I had a wedding that I went to and I had to put on a, my old pair of shoes. And I think that everyone who transitions to Beverly Shoes has this moment, right? Where they have to go back to an old pair of shoes for some reason. And my God, I was like, I used to wear these? Yeah. It's truly mind-blowing that, that, you, that they were comfortable, in my opinion, at, at one point. Yeah. Yeah, I actually... Fascinating. Uh, Early on, had to go to court about something, and the only pair of black shoes I had were a pair of Nike Free that I had made on their website, where it's black to the floor. And I uh, just walking to and from the the courthouse. By the end of two days of that, my knees and my back were killing me. And so, oh yeah, I used to think these were good and quote barefoot and nothing of the sort. So yeah, that's always uh, my favorite version of this surprise is someone that we know who at the end of ski season bought new boots and had them custom made because they were discounted at the end of the season. And then he started wearing our sandals all summer. And by the time he went to put his boots back on, couldn't fit them. And luckily there's a brilliant uh, ski boot fitter in town. And so he was able to modify them and make them work, but he was terrified that he just blown all that money on something he'd never wear again. They're expensive to do custom ones. Do you, are you a skier also? I'm not, given the fact, neither, given, which is ironic since I live in Colorado, but given the fact that I'm still a competitive sprinter, I don't want to do anything that would possibly mess that up. And I also, I know who I am when I watch people going down a mountain and they're shushing back and forth. It's like, where's the fun of that? I just want to go down as fast as I can. You're a sprinter, of course. Yeah. And that I know is stupid and dangerous. So I'm trying, I'm 61 years old. I'm doing the best I can to do fewer things that could kill me. Yeah. You're a wise man. You're a wise man, but I'm a big skier and also a little bit of a snowboarder. And that's a battle every season. That's a battle every season to, <laughs> to, to, to spend six hours in ski boots is it's a tough ask. Once you once your feet have changed. Yeah. They are starting to make those boots a little wider. There's things that you can do. I've played with this head in my played with this in my head quite a bit about, how you would rethink the whole idea of strapping boards to your feet in a way that's secure, but isn't messing up with your feet. And I think there's a way of doing it. I played with a couple of them, but we haven't, uh, we're not going to head in that direction um, for the foreseeable future. That's, that is a tough road to hoe. Yeah. That's a niche within a niche. I think it's a, within a niche. <laughs> yeah. Not as niche yeah. as one could possibly get. So what is from your perception, what is the future of minimal list? Minimal list, yeah. So for for us right now, we are we are very focused on just trying to make it as more useful to people as possible. And so that that's a big focus on providing more more community led reviews, more community led comparisons. We are focusing a lot on how we can make the the Golden Toe Awards even bigger and better next year. We're constantly adding to the directory, improving the filtering, making it faster. Um, and just trying to add more useful things like sales alerts, improving the newsletter, stuff like that, just so that people can. I, I, the, the, the simple mission for me is to f- try to identify as many barriers that people throw up to buying barefoot shoes or minimalist footwear yeah. and trying to just make them as small or as non-existent as possible. So whatever avenue people come in from, that I make it as easy and as accessible for them to to find what they are looking for and, and to, to, to take the leap just because me it really changed how i moved how i interacted with with the earth literally and i just think it's i want to to spread that i want to make that easy for other people yeah the evangelical nature that we all have about this is is we alluded to it's really what's driving it and it's not the thing that's so interesting to me about it is it's for real it's not based on beliefs and and faith and just something that we want to believe in addition to our own experience, the research backs it up. And then we hear it from others. I've literally never heard. There's a guy that I know, actually, he, he's a doctor for a small community. And when he talks about how they all switched to minimalist footwear, he always says it was like three people who it didn't work for them. 
And then afterwards, he'll say privately, it didn't work for them at first, but after they saw the benefits everyone else is getting, they tried again. And now everyone in my community is wearing minimalist shoes. But if I say we had a hundred percent adoption rate and no problem since then, people think I'm lying. And <laughs> that's too good. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and it is, it's a, it's an obstacle and it's also a bit of a problem because people often do think because we've all been trained to it to to think things like this that all they need to do is put on a pair of barefoot shoes and everything's going to be instantly fine and it's not like that and i think that's the next thing that we it, it's been a problem since day 1 it's what killed vibram didn't kill it but it's what made their life very difficult because that's the way people were talking about it back in 2009, 2010. It's just put these on. Everything's going to be awesome, especially those shoes, not so much. So we have to uh, overcome that in the right way. And I I don't think it's hard, but it gets in the way of the way Americans in particular like to shop, which is here's my problem. Here's the solution done. Everything's fine. And I would say to people, if you break your arm and you're in a cast for eight weeks, when you get the cast off, do you never use your arm again? No. I said, oh, so you do some exercise to get it back in shape. Yeah. How long does that take? I don't know, like six months. Cool. Why wouldn't you spend less than that time to get your feet back in shape? Because they've been in a cast for well more than eight weeks. And they're like, oh. So we just try to, you know, give people these little ideas, these little hints to get them to snap out of this, for lack of a better term, capitalist mentality that there's always a product that is the solution and you don't need to think. There is no work involved. Yeah. Yeah. I think that people have never had it so good, I think, in the sense that there are so many resources out there now from little courses that, that you guys, YouTube videos that you guys have done, yeah. there's courses from Katie and Petra. I think everyone under, everyone's trying to push that message is that these are not a fix or that you, they are a great thing, and you but you still have to rework how you move. And especially if you're not in touch with your own body, if you're just coming out of it from zero, you're going to it's going to take you a long time yeah i've never seen it take anyone a long time but when people say um how long does it take to like in transition to these i go i don't know it's there's an old um there's an old sufi joke where a man is walking down the street on his way to bombay and he's been walking and he doesn't know how much longer it's going to take and he sees a farmer and says to the farmer how long to bombay and the farmer just looks at him and just stops and looks at him and just goes back to farming the guy stands there. What the hell just happened? He's a farmer. How long to Bombay? And the farmer looks at him, stares at him for a bit, goes back to farming. The guy in a huff just walks, starts walking away. And the farmer yells, two hours. The guy stops and says, wait, what just happened? I asked you twice how far to Bombay. You gave me nothing. Then when I leave, then you tell me the answer. That's so rude. And the farmer says, I didn't know how fast you walked. <laughs> and it's that same it's so thing. True. Yeah, I don't know how aware you are of what your body is doing and how good you are at adopting new movement patterns, how much your brain has changed so it's not feeling anything from your feet any longer. All of these are factors, but I've literally never met anyone who can't make that transition in a timely manner is the best thing I can say. Not necessarily as fast as they imagine, but definitely for the value, pretty damn fast. I think for me, it was about three months before I was feeling very comfortable in them. But, oh, it, but, but it changed the whole way I moved. Like I remember the way I was walking, it just, it just it, it was felt so alien to me because I couldn't heel strike anymore. And I had to land on the middle. And at first I thought I was walking on my toes is how it felt. And then you, you figure that middle point again and, and what's good and what's not good. It was fascinating to go through the whole process. I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, It was absolutely uncomfortable at times when... You're on your feet all day and you're and you haven't got those muscles working when you at the end you're tired you've been physically working all day those muscles but it could but just to reassure everybody you know after time like anything it goes away you readjust you get used to it and yeah. you come out of it stronger so i've been thinking uh, a lot lately when people switch out of something where their heel is elevated they go oh, i'm like falling over backwards no you're actually standing up straight but because you had your heel elevated, you were having to subtly lean back to stand up straight in those shoes. So then once you get the heel out, until your muscles wake up, you're now actually standing up straight, but it feels like you're leaning back. It's a very peculiar set of things that happen when we just habituate to stuff that's out of whack. And then you get back in whack and go, no, this feels wrong. I go, just give it a day. Yeah. <laughs> just, I remember just... reflecting on the fact that so few people in the world, maybe not the world, but at least in the West, they probably go through 
if you think about the number of hours in their life, how many hours have they actually felt the texture of the ground? Mm. Like to most people, the ground is foam. <laughs> That's what it is. And, but there's another component to that. Because of that, the word barefoot has been tainted for a while, like in the last 12, 14 years, because many people, they think, I don't want to be barefoot. I don't want to feel the ground. I want to be comfortable. Oh, you, you missed it. And so interestingly, we're running that kind of uh, this fine line between using that term because people are using it and more more and not wanting to communicate that this is problematic for those people who like literally don't take their shoes off from the moment they wake up to the moment they go to bed. And there is a way of doing it. It's just, it, it's tricky. I, I like to think that what's happening, and this will be my last thought about the industry, but I want to hear yours. I like to think that what's happening is that more and more people are trying this and over time, because you're going to see it more and more, people will go through a phase where first they're resistant, but after seeing it more, there'll be a point where all the doubters are going to go, eh, I'll give it a shot. And that's when things are going to grow exponentially because the experience is so profound. And I, the thing that I say on a regular basis is, I, assuming that's going to happen, I just would like to live long enough to see it. Uh, I, th I think you'll be surprised. I, I think that, as we've already alluded to, is that the, the trends are going in the right direction. And I think that there's a tipping point. I think that the work that you guys are doing, the work that Vivo are doing, the, the, the force of the, the message being sent out is getting bigger and stronger. Yeah. And even now when I'm hiking around trails, I see people wearing barefoot shoes and it's funny because you have that moment of connection you're like ah you got you, oh, yeah. you feel maybe you also feel it but i'm, I'm waiting for the first marriage that. Um, to happen as a result of that way back when on craigslist they have a, a section called missed connections which is things i'll give you the one from zero it was a, a guy who wrote or maybe it was a woman i don't even know said i saw you wearing your zero shoes on this bus in this town and i wasn't wearing mine so i was too embarrassed to say hello and the whole idea is that this misconnection people would actually meet each other <laughs> and so i'm waiting for the first i bumped into somebody else wearing zero shoes and now we're married that's my favorite story that uh, i'm hoping to have happen it's probably out there. Maybe some. Maybe they listen to this podcast. They can write into to fulfill that <laughs> wish, uh, or just go marry somebody just to prove that I was right, <laughs> just to let you do it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Adam, total pleasure. I'm glad we finally got to connect and just have this industry insider chat from different perspectives. If people want to find you, please tell them how to do that. Yeah, you can just go to our website if you type in minimal hyphen or dash list dot org into the into Google, you'll find it. And yeah, it's just a a nice directory of everything that you might need to get yourself up and running with a pair of shoes or to continue your journey. It's simple. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for this. And also just thank you for what you're doing. Because again, the more people who just are spreading the word in various ways, the better for everybody. And that's going to, that'll be really helpful for not just people in the industry, obviously humans, those people. So for everybody else, thank you for joining us for this conversation. And just a reminder, head over to www.jointhemovementmovement.com to find previous episodes, ways you can interact with us on social media, other places to find the podcast if you're looking for another place to find a podcast. And if you have any requests or comments or suggestions or complaints or think I have a case of cranial rectal reorientation syndrome, whatever it is, and you want to share it directly with me, you can just drop me an email. I'm at move, M-O-V-E at jointhemovement.com. So most importantly, though, with whatever you're doing, just go out, have fun, and live life feet first.